climax of a perfect life You watching me Hanging by a string this time Welcome to Mondays with Millie, a podcast about the past, with real relevance to the present day. I'm your host, Phil Cristofaro, and in this podcast series, I interview my 90-year-old mother-in-law, Doreen, who I affectionately call Millie, about her ordinary life and the extraordinary events which influenced it. Millie has witnessed firsthand some incredible things across 10 decades. This is a personal history which gives us some perspective about life's triumphs and challenges. Yeah, sweet about me. Nothing sweet about me. Yeah, sweet about me. Nothing sweet about me. Yeah. Episode 2, Season 8 of Mondays with Millie. In this episode, we hear more about Millie's friend and housemate, Tom. Tom's kindness, quirkiness and friendship are an important part of Millie's story. Tom's gradual decline into dementia presented some challenges, as did Millie's failing vision. Please enjoy Part 2 of this episode, Tom. And if there's lessons to be learned... I'd rather get my jamming words in first, so when you're playing with desire, don't come running to my place when it burns like sweet about me. Nothing sweet about me, yeah. Sweet about me. Nothing sweet about me, yeah. Sweet about me. Nothing sweet about me. Sweet about me, yeah. Sweet about me, nothing sweet about me, yeah. Sweet about me, nothing sweet about me, yeah. But um, it was very sad because um, uh, during Lent, I used to go, we used to go once a week and they had these luncheons where you gave money to the church you know for whatever they were saving it for and you had soup and you had soup and a roll you see for lunch um it was a a thing they did for Lent, and so i over the years i went to quite a number of these with him but um about 18 months before he died he he came home and he said to me i'm not going back there I don't like those people. So I said, why? What do you mean? He said, well, they don't like me, so I don't like them. It was really sad. And he started coming to church with me then. What, he just sort of excommunicated himself from... um, Yes. But of course, for his funeral, we did have a Catholic priest 
for his funeral at, at the crematorium, not in church. Mm. I thought it was really sad, but um, was he distressed was by it? Or was it was it something because you say you no? Know, I, I I don't think it was justified at all. But he'd got that into his head, and he didn't want to go. So I think somebody would probably just said something to him, you know, which he would mistake because you have to be careful sometimes. I re I remember this was, it wasn't funny at all, but it was the first thing about two years before he died. Um, I think I'm all right talking about this, really. Um, I don't think I'm going to upset anyone saying this, but. Uh, about two years before he died, I suddenly realised what was happening to him because I went up to church and by this time I'd, I'd had to give up driving because of my eyesight. And Tom was still driving, so we went up to church and it was a, on a Friday. Now, Jenny, my next-door neighbour, also is our caretaker at church and she was cleaning things down and I was going to take flowers for the altar you see it was my turn so I took I bought the flowers and we went and when we arrived Jenny said oh come in Tom I'll make you a cup of tea while Doreen is doing the flowers so I went to sort the flowers out and Jenny had got this new pup and she was trying to train it you see and she'd she'd put little tiny doggy nibbles on the floor and she wanted the the, to train the dog to come and take them when she told him to. So I did the flowers and I came through and Tom sat there with a cup of tea and she said uh, to the, she calls the dog Sally. She said, come on, Sally, come on, take these, take these. And of course the dog wouldn't move. So as you might do with a child, she said, oh, well, if you don't want them, I'll give them to Tom. Well, he jumped up. And he, he said, I'm going. And off he went, you see. So, and well, we looked at each, I didn't know what was the matter. So I followed him out and we got in the car. And he said, I'm not going to be treated like a dog. How dare she call me a dog? And I, I was, I was very upset because I realized then that his brain wasn't working properly, you know. Mm. And I just said, uh, no, I don't think she meant it that way, Tom. And I changed the subject completely. And for a while, he was very short with Jenny, who was very kind to her. Eventually, he came round and they became very good friends. But in fact, if you saw her out in the front garden, he used to go out too and he'd stand chatting to her while she was weeding her garden, you know. Mm. Mm. But that was the first sign that there was something not quite right that was happening to him and it was it was quite frightening really well it's it's an awful condition isn't it i mean you know and you were as i say you know you were really good friends and you oh, were, we were you were you were <coughs> able to look out for him and and you're probably and he looked out for me uh, yeah. he looked out for me too uh. yes he, he he used to do all sorts of things for me that he thought I couldn't do, you know, um, because of my eyesight. We we were quite a competent pair when the two of us were together. Hmm. 
Well, yes. you did complement each other's skill set, didn't you? You know what I mean? Yes. He, he, when you uh, lost a significant part of your eyesight, he was kind of, he would yes, take that, that on, good. didn't he? He was really great with that. Mm. We were. And, and you know, he, he um, but he, he, the thing is, the sad part is, you see, with certain types of dementia, his was um, vascular dementia, Um he knew what was happening to him. He knew he was losing his abilities uh, mentally. And it, it, he quite often said to me, you're going to have to make a decision soon about me. And I just said, no, no, no decisions to be made at all. We just take everything that comes day by day, week by week. We're, everything will be all right, Tom. Because there is no way I could have said, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't look after you anymore. I couldn't say that. Mm. Not to Tom. No, of course not. Of course not. Because he wouldn't have said it to me. Mm. He wouldn't have said it to me. I know he wouldn't. Anyway, we had lots of laughs and we had some very nice holidays together. We didn't go abroad because... Um, he, he couldn't cope with that, you know, but uh, the last good holiday we had was um, the year before lockdown. He uh, um, We went to the Isle of Wight and it was lovely. We had a really good time there. Mm. We went on a coach, you know. Yeah, it was good. Do, do you feel that he, because he, he died quite suddenly, didn't he, in the end? He did, within 36 hours, yes. Mm. It was a... Massive brain bleed, really, mm. Mm. and and it was it was a good time for him, and it was a good time for me because, uh, well, I wouldn't have made any decisions about him, but I think perhaps other people would have been putting pressure on for me to let him go into a home, you know, but I wouldn't do that, and um, it saved any decisions on my part. And also, uh, he didn't. It didn't have to happen to him, and he really didn't want to do that. He really didn't. He was, mm. he was worried about having to go away. Mm. So uh, things worked out very well for him. He was eighty-eight when he died. It's a pretty mm. good innings, isn't it? And, yes. And yes. A, and and people would always want to be remembered for their true personality not yes. a part of their personality or a shadow of themselves and I don't yes. think you know I don't think anyone would want that but and um, all, all, all my children have always been very fond of Tom even even my great granddaughter Amy uh, when she knew he died she said oh dear no more aeroplanes because when she came well after she'd been my living room was littered with paper aeroplanes. He made very good aeroplanes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, um, is there is there anything in the house that you reminds you of him, day to day? Day to day. Well, well, yes, because especially this summer. The things have been coming up in the garden, strange things that I've never seen before. And I said to the gardener, 
I don't re I remember ever seeing that. And there was a big bush there. No flowers came on it. Great big bush. And it was crowding out my wisteria. Couldn't see the wisteria for this big bush in front of it. It looked most odd. And he said, well, I did think it was a funny place to plant that. <laughs> and Tommy used to do this. He used to bring all sorts of things and put them in the garden, which I didn't know about. I do. I did know that <laughs> one day he was um, he was out in the front garden for quite a while, and I, I could see his shape, the shape of him bent down. And I thought, well, he's ever so busy. He must be weeding. And uh, I went out to to say, you know, I'm making a cup of tea. Are you coming in? And I thought, what's all this on the floor? And Jenny called over and she said, I'm afraid he's pulled all your bulbs up. <laughs> I know daffodil bulbs and, and small bulbs I had that were in there. He pulled them all up and laid them straight on the garden path, you see. And I said, what have you done that for? Pulled all the bulbs up. He said, oh, I thought they were weeds. <laughs> <laughs> so he... he it took him a long time and he put them all back again. So now I get daffodils mixed up with tulips and all sorts of things, you know. And in the back garden, there are different things coming up. And I think, well, I never saw that before. You know, It's just a little memory of Tom, isn't it? It's you know, a little memory of Tom, yes. The, the yeah. quirkiness, the, the forgetfulness, yeah. the um, absent-mindedness and the very... The great kindness yes. that he had in, in oh, him. Oh, absolutely. Uh, what yes. A wonderful man. He was man. a very, very, very kind. He was a wonderful person, really. He was. And he was he was a much better designer than my husband was. John used to tell me all the time, Tom's much cleverer than I am. He's a much better designer than I am. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it was true. It was true because he, he, uh, he always had... Uh, Wherever he applied for work, he got it. You know. So this this yeah. this period of having Tom with you is it was a. How would you characterize it? That six years, how would you summarize it or characterize it? Well, I suppose I don't know. I suppose it was the end of an era, because he'd been around since nineteen sixty, and. Um, and of course, in that time, you know, before Tom, the year before John died, my sister died. And then three years after John died, my brother died. And, the, well, my sister-in-law, of course, is in a nursing home now. And we're not allowed to, at the moment, we're not allowed to see each other, but we soon will be able to. And... Everybody had gone, you know, except Tom and I. And uh, like I say, it was for a long time. It's you see, he he remembered so many things about John. He knew all sorts of things about John, and he'd tell me things that I didn't know as well. Uh, no, no tale telling. I don't mean anything like that, you know. Well, yes, tale-telling, but only nice tales or funny tales about scrapes they got into sometimes when they were first training. And uh, he knew John so well, as, almost as much as I knew him, you know. So we often used to sit there and 
in an evening and just sometimes we just talk about John. <laughs> Nothing melancholy, just about happy times, you Beautiful know. Memories of yeah. yes. Do you remember when he did this and when he did that? And mm. the first one before I had actually met Tom, he um, I, I hadn't seen John for a few years, and then we got in touch with other, each other again, and we had a date. And uh, it was a Sunday evening. And then he said to me, well, I, won't, I want to see you again, but it won't be for a couple of weeks uh, because I'm going away with my friend Tom. That was the first time I heard about him. And this was 1959. So um, I went, oh, okay. So he said, we're going to Spain. And I thought, oh, well, you might meet somebody in Sp uh, on holiday and that, that might be the end of it, you know, so... I just said, oh, okay, probably see you around then when you come back. And apparently, on the coach going to the airport, it was an inclusive holiday thing, he, he brought out his photograph and he said to Tom, what do you think to that? Which wasn't very polite, really, because it was me who was showing him a photograph of me, a very old photograph taken when I was 16. And Tom said, well, she, she, she looks very nice. But um, now I heard two versions of this, well, John's version, and then, of course, I heard Tom's many years later. And Tom said, he showed me the photograph of this young girl and said, what do you think to that? And I said, that's very nice. And he said, I'm going to marry her. <laughs> he said, and I thought, oh, God, he's baby snatching, you know. <laughs> And he said, well, how long have you known her? And he said, oh, I've known her. Oh, he said, I've known her about 20 years. <laughs> and just about, actually. Actually, he knew me 25 years by the time we got married. And he said, and Tom said, I was quite relieved. I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, <laughs> what's happening? And then, of course, they had this crazy holiday together. And... Um, Apparently, and then I heard about Tom and I thought, well, he, he sounds like an idiot and I've never even met him because apparently he, he went swimming <clears throat> and John wasn't allowed to go swimming in the sun because he'd had TB years before, you see, had to stay out of the sun. So he'd arranged this party in their bedroom and a, a group of men, young men and women came and all brought they all brought wine and sangria and all sorts of stuff. Apparently, Tom came back from the swim, found nobody on the beach, <laughs> came back to the hotel, and this party's in full swing. And he thought, oh, uh, they're, all, they're all quite merry, and I haven't even started. So he said he remembers having a few drinks of sangria, this homemade sangria, and he didn't remember anything else. Well, the rest of the story I had previously had from John because he, he told me that he looked terrible and he laid out on the bed with no clothes on. After the party was over, of course, no clothes on. It was very hot. He said, and I just threw a sheet over him and went down to dinner. And can you imagine? This is all in the afternoon. This happened. And apparently the maids came in to turn the beds down and thought he was a corpse. 
and ran out screaming. <laughs> but that was a, a typical Tom story, you know. Uh, what yes. a shock. What a shock. And Tom was telling me, he said, yes, they, they all went off to dinner and left me. And the next thing I heard these two women screaming. I said, yes, because you were stark naked. And he went, oh, who told you about that? <laughs> Uh, so I'd often had two versions of the same tale, you see. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry you came to live with me, although um, it was difficult at times because I couldn't leave him, you know. I couldn't leave him. It was, uh, And it was difficult when Kirsten came over and we were going to my cousin's wedding um, and we were going to be away for a few days. You know, it was in Wales, the wedding. And I was worried then. But um, anyway, um, Alison, who, who actually cleans for me and looks after me very well, she came in to see to him. And Jenny from next door checked on him, you know. Tom's daughter came a couple of times and checked on him. But I wanted her to stay, but she didn't want to stay. So... Uh, we couldn't do anything about that. But anyway, he managed. But it took it off because all the time I was worrying about, um, well, you know, suppose he wandered. He did get lost once or twice. I know that. He admitted that. But the police didn't have to bring him home. He did find his own way home eventually. You know. Must have been. I, said to, him, I said to him, you should have just got in a taxi and asked the taxi to bring you home. And he said... Well, I couldn't remember the address. Mm. So, so like I say, it was, um, it all came to an end fairly quickly. And I mean, you can only wish for the same yourself, can't you? Mm. If you're really ill. Well, but, you know, he, he, he wouldn't have wanted to, yeah, decline. No, he didn't. No. 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 Yeah. No, it, like I say, it was, it was a very good time for him. It really was. He was a very loving man. You know, he 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 gave his heart and soul. He really did. You watching me hanging by a string this time. Don't easily the climax of a perfect life. Lessons to be learned. I'd rather get my jamming words in first. So I'll tell you something that I found that the world's a better place when it's upside down, boy. And if there's lessons to be learned. And that concludes episode two, season eight of Mondays with Millie. Next week we have two special guests who will join us. Millie's sons, Paul and Christopher, will reflect on growing up and their close bond with their mum. We look forward to your company again next week. Nothing sweet about me, yeah, sweet about me. Nothing sweet about me, yeah.
Sweet about 